0: Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Well, good morning. It's great to have you all here today. I want to thank this group did just a great job on the music today. I want to especially point out Brittany right now because, I don't know if you noticed it, but her string broke. Things like that happen, don't they? Did it affect your worship? Did it affect your praise? No. You see, a broken string is nothing in God's hands, isn't it? You know, many times I feel like a broken string. (laughs) I was wondering how to introduce this today, but that's a great way. I feel like a broken string sometimes. I feel totally inadequate to the job. And uh, I'll tell you, there are times when I can say, I can't do anything. I got nothing for you today. I got, but you know what? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about a great and amazing Lord who's already given us in His Word everything we need. So I just get to stand here and talk about it a little bit. But it's God's Word that's going to make the difference as we go to His message today. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be in this chapter today. It's a, it's a wonderful chapter, it's an exciting chapter. It's chapter all about the resurrection. Paul's got one main theme here, and he's going to dive into it, he's going to dig into it, and he's going to bring us some things that will really encourage us and strengthen us in our walk today. Father, I do thank you. Thank you for your word, for all that it means to us. Your word is true, and it guides us into the truth that helps us to live our lives. I thank you for every part of this service today. Thank you for the great... uh, musicians, thank you for the people who've set up, thank you for so many who've uh, joined in with us, and for those who are joining us online, uh, Lord, we praise you for them as well, because every part of it comes together. You use our weak, frail, broken selves to bring honor and glory to you, and for that we thank you. Uh, Lord, as I speak today, I I pray that you'll just give us uh, a message from your word, Take these words that I say, throw out the things that are of no value, and and keep that which brings your message to our light and to our hearts. Lord, hide me behind the cross. Help the message of salvation. Help the message of love. Help the message of eternal joy be with us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your scriptures, I invite you to join along with us. We're going to start in verse 1, chapter 15. And yeah, I'm going to try to cover the whole thing. It's scary. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's, it's easy to talk for an hour, but I don't have an hour. I've got to try to get what I need to get to you in, in the time that I'm given. I'm going to try to do that to the best of God's ability. Uh, Paul says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep." After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, Which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. After this introduction, Paul introduces his primary argument for the entire chapter the uh, reality and necessity of the resurrection. But he starts with the gospel, and all good preachers ought to spend at least a little bit of time in the gospel here. So so we're just going to remember this. He says, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, he was buried. And rose again according to the scripture. Now Paul is talking to believers. And he gives this quick summary of the gospel just to remind them of this truth. If you're listening to me today and you do not know what I mean when I say the word gospel. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Let me just take a moment and remind you that we're all sinners. Every one of us are born in that condition. And every one of us falls short of what God wants us to be. I hope you can believe that. (laughs) If you believe that, then listen to what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. It's something that you get because you're a sinner. We all die. Paul's going to talk about this more. We're going to talk about this more today. But we all die because of our sin. But Jesus, God the Son, God from all eternity, saw us in our helpless state, and he loved us. He came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life. And the scriptures tell us the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because Jesus lived that perfect life, then he died on our behalf. He took the sin, which we so easily have, and he put it on himself. We who were enemies to God were brought near to him, were made friends to God because of his love for us. He took our sin upon Himself and gave us His righteousness that we might live and not die. That gift of God, eternal life, is only available through Jesus the Messiah, through Jesus Christ who died and rose again for us. If you've got any questions about that, if you've never heard that before, if it's something that's just racking around in your brain, please come talk to me afterward or please come find somebody who who knows this Jesus. Talk to them. Spend some time, figure this out, because there's more writing on it than you can ever know. But Paul is very quick in his message of the gospel today because he's talking to believers, and I'm talking to a lot of believers today. And and Paul says, you know these things. You you remember that according to the scriptures, Jesus died. You remember that according to the scriptures, Jesus rose again. Peter saw him. And then the twelve, the disciples, they saw him and he was seen by over 500 people at one time some of them have died but some of them are still around and he says something interesting he says then like somebody out of time i saw him too because if you know your scriptures and if you've read your bible you know that on the damascus road paul was going down to persecute christians and he encountered the risen christ he didn't meet some strange vision he didn't meet some apparition he met Jesus, and he he says I know that he was raised because I've met him myself so he was seen by James all the apostles but Paul says I can give you first hand information about this now Paul gets to his point after this and says if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. The Corinthian church is a great study for a believer. It's a great place to dig in and understand a little bit about Uh, what the church is because this influential church you're going to find both great accomplishments and you're going to find great failures paul is deeply affectionate toward these people but he's often frustrated with them (laughs) in another of their theological mistakes some of the people in this church have begun to deny the fact of a literal resurrection to this paul is incredulous Paul makes a, an argument that the resurrection is essential to the understanding of the gospel. If you throw out the resurrection, you throw out the good news of Christ. Without the resurrections, Christians ought to be pitied even more than unbelievers around them. That's an interesting statement. It's only the blessings, if it's only the blessings in this life that we receive, if only what we receive in this life are the rewards we have for following christ (laughs) then others who are non-christians should rightly feel bad for us i can understand that you know some people will ask me well why do you why do you tithe why do you give money to your church i say because god wants me to but really, uh, you, you really don't have as much as, as so many other people. Wouldn't it be a little better for God to leave you that money so you could pay your bills and, and take care of things? And, and Dave, you know, you've know you got some abilities. Why aren't you out working in the world? is because God wants me to serve Him. If I'm giving up these things in this life, and all this life is, <laughs> is all there is, then yes, the non-Christians ought to feel bad for me. Because I've given up all this. I've given up all these things. We've been talking about that. It's dangerous to walk into a church. Because accepting Christ is pretty easy. But living for Christ takes a challenge. takes, Takes a cost. There's a cost to that. And you have to count that cost before you're willing to walk with God. And if that cost is the things of this world, and the things of this world are all we've got, then that's a pretty high cost. Now, I'm not a betting man, so I don't understand betting. (laughs) It just doesn't enter my head. But I know a lot of people are, and I got nothing wrong with that. You know, we just went through this March Madness thing, and a lot of people build brackets. I'm not saying it's wrong to build a bracket. Okay, please listen to me today. If you build build your bracket, more power to you. Have fun with it. But I'll tell you one thing that is awful stupid. It's awful stupid to build a bracket in April. Right? You know, I heard Michigan's got a pretty good team this year. I think I'll catch... I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them in to go to the Final Four, maybe to the, the semifinal. Maybe they'll even win it all. Do you think I could find a, a bookie out there who would take my bet? <laughs> probably be pretty easy. they probably even give me pretty good odds. They'll say, I'll give you a million to one that Michigan doesn't win the conference. I'll give you a million to one that they don't become the NCAA champions. Why? the game's already over guys (laughs) and it's not a bet at this point it's a sure thing if I bet a dollar to get a million dollars all I'm doing is wasting that dollar because the truth of the matter is Michigan's not going to be the national champion and that's what Paul is saying here he's not saying uh, this is a bet whether Christ is right or whether Christ is wrong whether Christ was raised from the dead or not he's saying there's incontrovertible proof that there's a resurrection and his argument is an argument from absurdity just that just like that one about betting on the betting on michigan it's a stupid thing to argue about because it's already happened and paul is not saying this is a possibility he's saying if it were then you could pity me but he says no 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 christ is risen from the dead amen okay it's a fact it's a fact. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and he's become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when, all, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Christ is listed here as the first fruits of the resurrection. We'll be talking more about that later. This idea of first fruits is really exciting. I don't know what I don't know if it's the same here in Virginia. I don't have a house here, so I don't get to put in a garden. But you know, back in Michigan, after that long, cold winter, there was something special about that first thing. <laughs> it didn't matter really what it was. We saw the crocuses that pop up out of the ground, and that was exciting because those were the first flowers. We, but, but with the really great part of a strawberry you pull up in your patch, and you got that first strawberry of summer. Somehow that tasted better than all the others christ is the first fruits he's a very first one with a brand new nature he is the first one in this resurrection and we'll we'll be talking about that paul compares christ with adam and it's a very helpful thing to do here in the garden you remember that adam was created by god just as all the uh, vegetables were all the plants all the leaves the, the birds the fish He created Adam as well and he put him in that garden that perfect garden where he had fellowship with God and God says you're here forever to enjoy me forever simply do one thing don't eat of this tree because the day that you eat of it you will die oh we know what happened God, ate. God told him not to eat of that tree, so Adam ate of the tree. And some people will say, well, look, Dave, he, he, God didn't get that quite exactly right because the day they, didn't, they ate of it, they didn't die. The Bible tells us that Adam lived for 900 years. How does that match? Well, here's what, it, here's what it means, and I believe this with all my heart, and I know there's some people who argue with this, but I believe there wasn't death before this. I don't think any death in this world. But when Adam sinned, the wages of sin was death, and death entered this world. And from that point on, every one of us dies. Because in Adam, we all sinned. in Adam, we all receive this gift, if you will. You're all going to die. Welcome to church today. Hopefully that doesn't depress you too much. But I want you to understand this. You can blame Adam, you can blame your own sin, you can blame whatever you want, but the fact, the cold, hard fact is that because of Adam, every one of us dies. You understand that? Death is absolute. However, (laughs) Christ, the second Adam, brings us something new. He brings us the resurrection. Now, death is not a friend. You may have heard that, you know, death is just waiting for you there and he's going to take you to that beautiful place where you'll be, you know. Throw that out. Death isn't a buddy. Death isn't somebody who just comes along and takes away all your pain and makes things better. Death is an enemy. That's what the scriptures say. You see, death wasn't part of, and again, I've I got to be really careful how I say this, death wasn't part of God's perfect plan for for Adam. Death was something that Adam caused to happen when he sinned. But death is no friend. Death is no special uh, uh, buddy going along with all the other angels and just making things, you know, smooth. Death is the enemy. We don't like to think about death. Our society, especially, is very bad with dealing with death. We want to put it over in the corner somewhere, and when somebody dies, we just want to forget about them. We want to take, you know, we'll have that service, and then we can let it go. We can let it it say goodbye, and we, we never think about it again. Because death scares us. Because death makes us confront fears. Well, death is the enemy, but it has very little power in the Christian's life. All it can do is kill us. And Jesus told us, don't be worried about those who can kill the body. Be worried about the one who, after death, can commit you to torment, to eternal punishment. That's the one you need to be afraid of. That's the one you need to care about. It's certainly wrong to close our eyes to death and say it's not part of life. But it's also wrong to give it too much power in your life. It's wrong to make it too much Of a villain because death it's just death and i want you to think about something he says here when all the other enemies have been brought under jesus command death itself will be defeated death is not the victor Death is never the victor because death itself will be defeated and death will be no more. Now that's a really important point and it's a point where the world is not going to understand us. We say death is not final, but the world defines death this way. Death is the permanent, irreversible cessation of all biological functions that sustain a living organism. That's the general definition, and let me tell you it's wrong. <laughs> they think that that's the definition, because they only see a certain portion of death. They see the natural world around us. And since Cain rose up and killed Abel, every person on Earth has slowly approached that inevitable day when death claims them. And it looks like death is, control, is in control of the human condition. But you see, death is not permanent. Jesus' resurrection showed us that. Death is only temporary. The score looks pretty good for death at this point. Because all the people who have lived before us have died. And if God doesn't come back before your appointed time, You're going to die too. And it looks like death is winning. But the final scorecard that Jesus is looking at, the final scorecard at the end of the age, when all things are done, death gets a zero. Death is temporary. We talk about this life being just a vapor, just a moment. And that's true. A moment and it's gone. And then we get to spend eternity from God. Well, death is the same way. Death is just a vapor. Death is just a moment. It's a pause. And during that pause, we're dead. But after that, after that, we get to live with Christ forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But there's another part to the resurrection you may not have thought of. Because the Bible gives us two resurrections. Gives us that beautiful resurrection when the dead in Christ are raised to be with him forever in heaven. But if you look at Revelation 20, verse 12, you also see this. And I saw the dead, both great and small, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by those things, which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up her dead, which were in her, and death and hell delivered up the dead, which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And the dead, which were in them, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, there's a second resurrection. It's the resurrection of the lost. They don't just miss the mark. They don't just fail to understand who Christ is and the salvation that was freely offered to them by his death on the cross. They are resurrected also. And they are judged by their works. And if as anything the scripture has taught us, it's our works aren't going to help us get to heaven. <laughs> our works will never save us. And they're going to stand there and they're going to list all the great things that they may have ever done in their life. But because their name is not in that one book, the Lamb's book of life, they will go to a place prepared for the devil and his angels. They will, get, I know this is not the kind of stuff you're supposed to preach nowadays. You're not supposed, but, but let me tell you, this is the truth this is the truth they will go to a place of torment separated from god for all eternity and they will exist there forever wow yeah paul tells us that just as in adam we all sinned we all died and in christ all are made alive death in the end loses everyone it's ever claimed the righteous are resurrected To eternity in God's presence, the unrighteous to eternal life, separated from God, in a place of torment created for the devil and his angels. And so I want to help you define one of these terms we've talked about. When you hear the word resurrection, I do not want you to think of resuscitation. Resuscitation is something we hear fairly often in the world. Somebody's walking along the street, they have a heart attack, and if I happen to be there, I can look at him and say, Oh, this guy's having a heart attack. I can start CPR. I can start pumping on his chest and keep that blood moving around in his system. I can give him a couple of rescue breaths and get some more oxygen into his lungs so that that oxygen can be picked up by the blood I'm pushing through his heart, and it might keep him alive, might bring him back to life, might keep him uh, possible to live long enough for somebody to get there and save his life. Resuscitation does happen, doesn't it? There are people who looked dead for a moment and they come back to life. There are even some of those in the Scripture, aren't there? Lazarus was in the grave for four days. And Jesus called out to him and he was resuscitated. Hear me. He was resuscitated, not resurrected. Do you know why I can say that? He's not here today to tell us about it. He rose again, but only to die again. Death gave up on him for a bit so that he could live the rest of his life, but then he died. Resuscitation only results in the natural resumption of the body's processes. It is not resurrection. Okay, if you're following along, we get to a very hard passage of Scripture. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? (laughs) I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I read this passage. I thought about this passage. And I have to admit, I was afraid of this passage. I wanted at one point to just say, hey, you know what, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm going to go talk about something else. I said, Lord, give me another passage to preach. And he didn't. So I'm kind of stuck here. And I said, well, maybe I can just do the first part of this. But the second part, the part that's coming after it is so beautiful, I didn't want to miss that. So I was stuck reading these passages, which I don't like. <laughs> it was a hard decision to include it, but you know what? Those hard sayings in the Scripture are worth something. And we, as believers, do not get to pick and choose which verses we're happy with and which verses we're sad with. We have to speak the whole thing. So, I'm going to talk about this passage. (laughs) Good luck, Dave. This is a hard passage, not because it's hard to translate. Not because it gives people pause when they're working from the Greek and trying to figure out what it means. It's pretty clear. It's hard because it's hard to comprehend. It's hard to make sense of what this passage is. Nothing, let me say this right off the bat, nothing in Paul's writings or anywhere else in the Bible suggests that there is any value in being baptized on behalf of another person or in someone else's place. I want to say that because that is a false teaching that some have taken from this passage. Now, whatever this does mean, and I wish I could, there's two reasons I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you so we could just put it to rest, and I wish I could tell you, because if I knew, I could make millions off this. (laughs) Whatever this means, I'll tell you this. It must have been much clearer to the Corinthians who read it in their time than it is to us 2,000 years later. This verse And what it means is hard for us nowadays. So I'm going to put it in another person's hands. This is what John MacArthur has to say about this. This verse is one of the most difficult in all of Scripture. And it has many legitimate possible interpretations. It has also, however, been used to support many strange and heretical ideas. The careful and honest interpreter may survey the several dozen interpretations offered and still not be dogmatic about what it means but we can be dogmatic from the clear teaching of other parts of Scripture about some of the things it does not mean as to what this verse does mean we can only guess since history has locked it into obscurity we can be sure For example, that it does not teach vicarious or proxy baptism for the dead, as claimed by ancient Gnostic heretics such as Marcion and by the Mormon church today. Paul did not teach that a person who has died can be saved or helped in any way by another person's being baptized on his behalf. Baptismal regeneration, the idea that one is saved by being baptized, or that baptism is in some way necessary for salvation is unscriptural. The idea of vic- vicarious baptismal regeneration is still further removed from biblical truth. If a person cannot save himself by being baptized, he certainly cannot save anyone else through that act. Salvation is by personal faith in Jesus Christ alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This is the repeated and consistent teaching of both the Old and New Testament. Quoting from Genesis, Paul said, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The only way any person has ever come to God is by personal faith. Baptism doesn't save you, baptism does not impart upon you grace. And if that's true, baptism certainly can not impart somebody else grace by you being baptized for them. Now, as this passage ties, ties everything together, I think that baptism is probably the key to understanding it. And I'll put it very simply. When you're baptized, you're put under the water, identified with Christ in his death. But you're not left there. <laughs> You're raised to walk in newness of life. So my poor, simple interpretation of this is that Paul is saying, if you're baptized, you're being identified into his death, but not just his death. You're, de- you're being identified with his death, his burial, and his resurrection as he started the chapter. And so he, when he says being baptized for the dead, he's talking about being baptized for your dead nature i have to tell you that's the best i can do i can't give you the definitive answer on this but that's okay keep studying god's word keep understanding what it says and keep asking god to reveal to you his truth and these hard passages can be a blessing someone will say well how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come foolish one what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Paul is back here to clearer directions than we can easily understand. And it provides us with greater benefit. He's laughing at them. He's chiding at them when he calls them foolish ones. But I want you to understand it's not an anger it's an exasperation it's like a a, like you would do to a thoughtless child who misses an obvious truth they all know that you don't plant the thing you harvest just the kernel or the germ of what it's about to come the seed just contains the starting point for the final product they all know this you do too when you plant a seed of corn into the ground you don't expect a little yellow arc to be the first thing that breaks up out of the ground. You don't expect this corn kernel to grow. You expect to see a little shoot which becomes a stalk which flowers and grows a whole ear of corn where the seeds are. And Paul says, think about the resurrection this way. What you plant is just the old body, the old physical body what grows oh that's something so much greater all flesh is not the same flesh Paul continues but there is one kind of flesh of men another flesh of animals and another of fish and another of birds there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another there is one glory of the sun another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. Once again, we can readily understand Paul's argument here. Um, Yeah, fish and beef aren't quite the same, are they? No matter what they want to teach us today, these Beyond Burgers aren't meat. (laughs) They may look like meat, They may do their best to taste like me, but let me tell you, their nature is different. Isn't it? The nature of one is vegetable, the nature of the other one is cow. Paul's pretty clear. He also says, you know, the the, the stars, they also differ, don't they? We would use the word magnitude here. Some stars shine a little brighter than others. The moon shines brighter than the stars, and the sun, well, that shines so much brighter than all this. We understand Some things are brighter than others. Keep that in your mind and listen to what Paul says next. So also is the resurrection from the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Resurrection, as I have said, is not resuscitation. If this only means temporary life is temporarily restored to the physical body, and death inevitably waited to claim us once again, death would still be the master. The resurrection, how body, however, is so much more than what we have now. Personally, I can't wait to get this new body. <laughs> I am really looking forward to this. This old scar in my hand where they did the surgery, it'll be gone. The numbness in these fingers that keep me from making any kind of chords on the guitar, won't have to worry about it anymore. This frozen shoulder, which means I throw worse than my grandkids. It's going to be gone. This hip, oh friends, this hip and all the pain. Every time I stand up, every time I walk, that pain is going to be nothing. I'm getting a new body. I'm getting a new body that can do amazing, wonderful things. Why? Because in the resurrection, this body is going to be transformed it's not going to have the weaknesses it has now even better my mind is going to be transformed all my failures all my faults, all those silly stupid things I wish I'd never do all those times when I know the truth but don't do it, all those times when I know what I'm supposed to do and don't do it and the things I'm not supposed to do that I do, that's all going to be wiped away I'm going to be restored to what Adam was like back in the garden where he could live with God forever. Now, don't make a mistake here. I am not going to be God. I should get an amen for that. We do not become God. We do not become perfect in that way. I will know as I am known, but I'm not going to know everything because I'm not God. I'm going to be able to do so much more than this body does, but I'm not going to be able to do everything God does, because I'm not Him. But this new body, this is going to restore that opportunity for me to be in constant fellowship with God forever. He's going to make me available to spend eternity with Him, to enjoy His presence. And friends, that is a blessing. He says, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And then afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have, been, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, I gave you the scientific definition of death earlier. And that scientific definition makes sense to the world. Because everything they can observe in this natural world leads them to believe that death is permanent. That death is the final answer. Science and God do not disagree. There have been great scientists down throughout the ages who have also been great men of God. It's only in our society right now where it seems to be popular to say science and God are mutually exclusive. You can't believe in science and believe in God. I'll tell you why. Because science deals with what's observable science deals with what is natural science deals with important physical activities and things that stand the test of time if you add two plus two you get four it's a scientific fact it's a mathematical equation if you take an axe head which is made of iron and put it in water specific gravity says It will sink. That's science. What scientists don't take into account when they're dealing with science is that God is a God of miracles. God created every scientific law man has ever found. The reason that axe head sinks in the water is because God made it that way. He's the one who created specific gravity. He's the one who created... All the science. But you see, he's a God of miracles. And miracles are by definition those things which don't fit into the natural order. I believe in miracles. I believe that the axe had floated when Elisha prayed. I know that the earth is revolving around the sun at a specific speed, and it makes us look like we've got 24 hours in the day. And that that's, uh, you know, the a way that our earth has been created but I know that when Hezekiah prayed the sun went back 10 degrees in the sky don't ask me how to describe it scientifically it's impossible I mean if God had turned the earth backward 10 degrees I think it would have been a little bit upsetting to to those of us living on it I don't know how he did it but I do know this he did it because the miracle goes beyond what science can understand friends resurrection resurrection is beyond what science can understand. Because it takes this natural body and replaces it with a supernatural body. God is a God of miracles. He loves performing miracles. And his miracles bring about his plan on this earth. The miracle of miracles is this resurrection, this wonderful thing that God is providing for us. Now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on the incorruption, and the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that was written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, We shall not all sleep, and we shall all be changed. And there's a lot of things you can unpack into that as well. I'm not talking any parts of specific eschatology today. Because when you get into eschatology, your brain can just kind of wander around and float into lots of different things. And if you want to take the the seven-year tribulation and the thousand-year reign and kind of find out how they fit into this, you can do that. But Paul doesn't right now, and I'm not going to either. Because Paul is not talking about tribulation. Paul is not talking about rapture, believe it or not. Paul is talking about the end. After everything else, There's a final point. There's one final thing. Perhaps the tribulation, perhaps the rapture, perhaps that thousand-year reign comes after that. I personally believe that this earth will be around for at least a thousand seven years. That fits my theology pretty well. But I'll tell you this, at some point there's going to come a final moment. And it's at that final moment when that last trumpet sounds when the last click of time is counted, that God will put an end to this whole thing. And when he does, death will lose. Every person, every person from the beginning of creation to that moment will stand before God. Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, We'll find a brand new body, a perfect body that will last forever. We'll be ushered into his presence at the great marriage feast of the Lamb. We will be with him forever, and we'll be comforted. Those who don't know Christ, they'll get that same body that'll last forever. The pain will never end, the torment will never stop they will be separated from God for all eternity. This is why Paul says this is so important. This is the crux of the gospel. You must believe because your eternity stands in the balance. Not just your life. Not just these moments here. But eternity stands in the balance. Paul ends by saying, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul wrote to these Corinthian believers who were having some troubles. They were having some problems. Like a lot of our great scientists today. They were saying, "The resurrection? That must be just some theological construct that's created to make you feel better. To make you feel better about the harsh realities of this world. To make you enjoy a little bit this solemn path from the cradle to the grave. Friends, there are people in the church today who believe the same thing. Some of them believe in annihilation, we'll just stop, we'll never be again. Some believe in some other things, but, they, but, they, but a lot of them uh, will say, the resurrection, no, that's just a figurative idea. Christ just did what he did to pay our price, but, but then it just kind of fades. And you're foolish, and you're non-scientific, and you're weak, if you think about a physical, bodily resurrection. I stand here today, friends, and tell you that's 100% the truth. There is a physical bodily resurrection. You need to be ready for it. Father, I thank you for the goodness that you give to us. I thank you for the cross where you died. I thank you for the grave that could not hold you. I thank you that you are risen living right now in that resurrection body and i thank you that you are coming back again to receive all those who are yours to be with you forever lord i'm not betting my life on this i've surrendered my life to this i pray that you'll remind us always of the truth of the resurrection holding on to the great gospel teaching that we are different, we are changed, we are better because of what Christ has done for us. Help us to walk daily in this truth. Help us to be bold and share this truth with a lost and dying world that doesn't want to hear about this, but needs to hear it. That doesn't want to think about death, but needs to understand what's at stake. Guide us, Lord, in truth. Help us to do your will. Help us to be your people right here in Woodbridge, living for you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.